0: We're in Matthew today, next week is the Church Forward series, and we're starting Matthew 8, 1 through 17. One of these days, I am going to get the bulletin correct, so if you see the wrong passage on the bulletin, uh, that's because that's what I missed this week. Next week's a new month, and it's a new bulletin, so it'll it'll be right, finally, this month. I want you to imagine with me a disease so awful you had to separate yourself from your family. Luckily, not too long, just 10 to 14 days. It's global in nature. Most offices close down, schools are closed, everyone has to wear protective gear. There's a great fear of getting this disease, and there's honestly massive lots of life and livelihood. Can you imagine it? Of course you can. We all lived it. A disease that separated us from loved ones, isolating ourselves for fear that our children or those that are in our lives that are already sick might get sick. Not being able to gather with the saints to worship. We lived that. So did the old world. So did the old world. And in some cases, it was far, far worse when people start reading the Bible, a lot of times we'll start in Genesis, right? Because it's the beginning, and those of you that are completists, you like to start at the beginning. That's fair. And you get the first couple weeks in, right? Um, and you're flying Genesis, Exodus, it's narrative literature, and then you get to Leviticus. And it's like chapters on what to do with diseases. And you either skip it, or you're like, well, I'm done with my Bible reading plan. That was a great attempt this year. But since the pandemic, it has been much easier to preach through a book like Leviticus because we all lived through those exact, or not exact, but similar circumstances. I have had friends, dear friends, who have preached through Leviticus for the first time in their whole preaching careers, and they're like, man, this is easy, right? Just keep making references to a global pandemic. This is good. It's fine. Now imagine with me. A disease so awful, you have to separate yourself from your family, not just for 10 or 14 days, but until it disappeared. And there's no promise that it would. Your home does not have multiple rooms, so you're removed outside the city walls where others of the same disease gather. You lose your job. If you're in school, it's done. You cannot gather to worship Even if you didn't have it, even if you didn't have it, it's always in the back of your mind, especially as you come in and out of the city and you see these people living in huts. If you wake up one morning with the wrong coloring scab, it can change your life forever. That was leprosy in the old world. Today, we're moving forward in the ministry of Jesus. Matthew transitions us from the Sermon on the Mount to some of the day-to-day ministry of Jesus. Now remember, reminder about ancient texts, Matthew never makes the claim that all the stories are in chronological order. The overall assumption of the book is that it very much is because it begins with his birth and ends with his death, right? But not all the stories are necessarily in chronological order. Matthew here seems to group events together to make a fuller point which is seen here in the text. What's the fuller point? We see Jesus as healer in this section, and he heals in different ways, all making the same point. That is, Jesus has authority over all creation itself. Let's stand for the reading of the word of God. Turn with me to Matthew 8, 1 through 17. little help in the back. Hear the reading of the word of the Lord. When he, that's Jesus, came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest. And offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he, that's Jesus, said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law, that's Peter's mother-in-law, lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, which Matt read this morning. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. You may be seated. Father God, we come to you this morning a broken people in need of healing. May we be honest with where we stand before you. May we be honest with our sin. May we be honest with our Savior. For it is then when we call out that healing can come, maybe to our bodies, but to our hearts, our souls, our lives, for all eternity. In your Son's name I pray, amen. Matthew seems, to me at least that's why I'm, I'm really enjoying Matthew. Before this, the Gospel of John was probably my favorite gospel, and it still might be. I read John a lot. But Matthew is like poking his way up there. I've really enjoyed diving into Matthew these past three years. Matthew seems to be one of the kings of transition. Let me remind you of what we just read in chapter seven, verse 29. Whoop. He was teaching them as one who has authority not as their scribes, speaking of Jesus here. You see, he moves from teaching with authority, this is Jesus, to ministering with authority, seamless. We see this in the first story, which I think is best summarized as he touched it. The first story in chapter 8 is Jesus encountering a man with leprosy. I described it earlier. There's been a lot of ink spilled, even in Scripture, on what you should do if you get the disease of leprosy. A lot of ink has been spilled on what to do if one is healed. And none of it involves a leper approaching a clean man. So much so that if a leper was noticed in the crowd... Everyone was supposed to yell and point, unclean, unclean. Because that was what the leper was supposed to do if he walked into public. If people were close by, he was supposed to go, unclean, unclean. And people were supposed to give him, you know, more than six feet. But the leper approaches Jesus and kneels. And this is what he says, Lord, if you will You can make me clean. There's so much to unpack here. Notice first the title. The leper knows who Jesus is. He knows he's the one with authority. How he knows, we don't know. But it's clear that the news of the miracles, of the proclamation, news of his ministry has reached all the way to the leper colonies outside of towns. This man, from a posture of submission and at the end of his options, turns to Jesus for healing. Notice the next two words, then, too. If you will. The leper knows he's in no position to make demands. Further, the leper knows that even if the Lord says no, he's still the Lord. There is a request here, not a demand. Last, the leper knows who has the authority to remove illnesses. It's Jesus. It's why he makes the long journey to find him. What Jesus does in response is completely break conventional norms. You know what you don't do with someone who has leprosy? Touch them. There is a probability that this man has not been touched in years. That's what makes this statement so profound within the text. You and I are designed for touch. There's a dopamine shot that hits our brain when we embrace and a hug for an extended period of time, among with other things that happen in our body. We are wired for touch. Even a handshake or a fist bump communicate something to us literally bodily body soul mind it does those things let me give you an example i'm sure a lot of you can relate with this example when the covid pandemic first hit we did the thing where we you know stayed at home to beat covid in 14 days and then at some point i think it was week three or week four i can't remember we finally reached out to mom and dad Easter it was so wild and we said hey can we see you right we were going to follow the rules right we sat down with our kids and we say no touchy right Grammy and Papa we're going to meet outside there's going to be a safe environment we're going to have distance we're going to have chairs right and so we make plans we get in the car we go we get to the house everyone's excited we haven't seen them in weeks we do life with them we're at their house probably three times a week or they're at our house and Corey's like, pregnant at this point, right? Just Robbie, little Robbie. So she ain't moving fast. And because I'm the husband, I'm not moving fast either. Right? So we open the van doors. Grammy and Poppy are outside. And little Eva, sweet little Eva, tackles Grammy. Full force, now she's two, she didn't knock her over, calm down, okay. but, and then all the rules are out the door. Because a two-year-old gets it. I wanna hug Grammy. I don't wanna just say hi, I wanna hug Grammy, no matter what my mom and dad say. And my, my mother got it, she's weeping. She hasn't hugged her grandkids in weeks. Because that touch meant the world. We all exchanged hugs at that point. And it never felt so sweet up until that point. And we spent time with one another. We're made for touch. Eva knows it. My mom knows it. You know it. Our creator knows it. Jesus knows it. And so when asked if he will make a leper clean, Jesus not only says, yes, I will, but he extends his hand and touches the leper, and he's cleansed. We see in this next story an echo, and we'll see it in a second, this idea of all authority on earth, all authority on earth. The next healing comes as Jesus walks into Capernaum. If you thought lepers weren't welcome in a jewish community let me introduce you to the leader of the roman occupation very popular at parties as the pinata right no one likes this guy another verse same story a man seen as anathema in the eyes of the general jewish population as a problem And the man who shouldn't be approaching Jesus approaches Jesus. And like all commanders, right, he gets straight to the point. Lord, my servant is paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. The Roman centurion could have gone to a Roman doctor, and maybe he already had. He could have made sacrifices to his own little G God, or he could have just gotten another servant. He's Roman at a higher class that would not have been difficult He could have left off the description of suffering terribly even. But he doesn't, I'm convinced, because he actually is mourning for his servant. All these things speak to the honor of this centurion man. Jesus, hearing the problem and being also a person of authority, gets right to the point and offers a solution. I will come and heal him. That's all he says. But the story is given another dimension of the power of Jesus in this moment. The Roman centurion understands authority. He has people to work under him. If he has to deliver a message, he doesn't go. He sends the messenger person. We know that if he sends a messenger, that messenger now has his authority. And so the centurion argues with Jesus saying, you don't need to come. Knowing that he doesn't have to be there for the message to be delivered. For the task to be carried out in his name. Further, I think this too... It also might again speak to the honor of the centurion. The centurion knows if Jesus were to enter the home of a pagan, Jesus would then be made unclean for temple sacrifice. There again is that link with uncleanliness. Either way, Jesus marvels at this man's response. Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. You see, Jesus not only has authority in Israel, he has authority outside Israel too. Jesus goes on to commentate about this section. He reminds his disciples again that the kingdom is coming not just for Israel. It's a Psalm 2 reminder. The nations are the inheritance of Christ. Jesus says so in this section. Matthew 8, 11. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Further, he says that the sons of the kingdom, that's the kingdom of David, will be thrown into outer darkness. The Jews who have rebelled against the kingdom of heaven will be cast outside the kingdom, at least for a season. There are other passages that speak to the Jews being brought back in at a later time. But the authority... Don't miss this because most of you are Gentiles. I think there's maybe one or two of you a Jewish descent in here, but most of you are the people that they're talking about here, the East and West people. Jesus has authority over the whole world. And the faith of a centurion is just the beginning of it. At least in the Gospel of Matthew, the woman at the well in John 4 might officially beat the Gentile who confesses faith. But either way, it's clear that the Jewish Messiah has a greater goal in mind than one nation. He has a kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, a kingdom that is not of this world, but seems destined to bring in people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. We then see the next story. While Matthew is the king of transitions, I am not today, so I apologize for that. I just couldn't see a way to weave it together. Mom and demons. Now, I was a little scared of putting this on the slide, Moms, may this be the only association you have with the demonic as you fill this in. Okay. It's already hard enough to put it in, with the sermons with lepers and nasty Romans. The sermon title was almost a leper, a Roman, and a mom. But let's focus on the actual story, not the association. Okay, so moms today, please don't rebel. I'll be back there after service if you want to talk to me. I'll be up here. Um, <laughs> I'll be back there. Because these two small stories, they're put together, and the reason they're put together is because they echo the two larger stories that have come before. One with touch, and another with authority. Matthew is really trying hard to lock these ideas here this morning. Matthew 8, 14 and 15. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying sick with fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. Again, it is the touch of Jesus that brings healing. He is the comforter. And I'm sure in that moment, having someone hold her hand was very comforting. Little did she know that it wouldn't just be a handhold, but it would be a healing. Not just comfort in the sense of, Mom, I'm, I'm with you here while you're sick. But instead it was, be well. While it would be easy to make a joke about mother-in-law's here, I'm not going to, Peter clearly loved his. So much so that he would bring the Messiah to see her, for her to be healed. The scene then shifts hard to demonic activity. With the purpose of fulfilling the passage in Isaiah 53, Jesus fulfilled the passage in two ways. First, by removing the spirits. That oppressed others and second by healing the sick and he did so if you notice in the text at a word and like the story of the centurion he could do so because it's he who has authority over the earthly realm as well as the spiritual realm or the heavenly realm now some theologians will link demons and sickness there are reasons the reason that they're sick is because there's demonic oppression and honestly they might be right In this scenario, Uh, there was even a link between leprosy and sin in the old world. But I think that may have been more superstition than actual truth. I, I just don't know. But demons do indeed oppress people in a multitude of ways. They may have been linked here. The reason they're sick is because they're demon oppressed. Or they may have been two separate things. Either way, either way. Jesus has authority at his hand and at his word. Jesus has authority at his hand and at his word. Great stories, Pastor. What do we take away from it? What are some applications and implications from this text that we can begin to apply or see the world through that lens? Let's look at a couple. First one I want to talk about is the gifts of healing. Now, that is there not to signify that it might be an S, but in the sense that I want us to focus on the plural. This is a much debated topic, and I do not intend to exhaustively cover it this morning, but I do think the passage speaks to it, so I wanna mention it briefly. I want us to first notice the posture of those asking for healing. Notice the posture. It's one of kneeling, one of pleading, And one seems passed out in bed. But their heart posture in all situations is that of servitude. The two main players in the two first stories today respond by saying, Lord, for those of you that are currently praying for healing for a loved one, I'm in that category too. Do you have this posture? Is Jesus Lord of your life? or are you demanding he heal, or you're out? Both the first two stories seem to imply that they were asking for healing knowing that the answer could be no. But in both cases, Jesus grants it, and we should rejoice with them. The second thing I want us to notice is that the gifts of healing must be discussed because of the prevalence of faith healers in our culture. You'll see them on local TV channels too. These are men and women who claim to be healers if you come to their conference and pay a specific price, if you send the right amount over the telephone. However, these people rarely show up at hospitals and clear out a wing. In 1 Corinthians 12, when the gifts are given to the church, within a body of believers, the gifts of healing is given there. The gifts of healing, not the gift of healing, which is what the other offices in that section are designated as. The, the office of apostle or elder or, um, or prophet, those things. But the gifts of healing are not healer as in an office of the church. But it seems to be healing itself is a gift. Healing does indeed happen at the church. And when it does, it's a gift. A gift that can be given, not an office to adopt. Now, has God used certain people throughout history to offer this gift to others multiple times? Absolutely. But the existence of an office, an official office within a body, seems to be missing from Scripture. You won't see this. And a celebrity that tours the country to hand out gifts at a price is a charlatan and distorts the gospel, especially one who claims that if you aren't healed, well, then it's your fault because you didn't have enough faith. We talked about this a few weeks earlier when we talked about wolves in sheep's clothing. Okay. If you want to have other conversations or have questions about the gifts of healing and stuff, we can have conversations. You can take me out to coffee. I'll take you out if you want, right? Or there's a question box in, um, on the information booth. You can drop specific questions about it. I know there's a lot of questions on healing um, within the church. Second thing I want us to look at is the response of service. It's the response of service. In the story of the leper, Jesus gives the former leper a task that is rooted in the book of Leviticus, which I didn't have us read this morning. He is to go and make an offering at the temple and have a priest examine him. This would be a very happy task for a leper because he's been cleansed, because he's been healed, because now he can be touched, because now he can go to worship. His response is one of joy, even if a task is given. He would delight in giving a gift. He'd be grateful beyond words. Are you grateful when you give? Are you grateful when you give? The reason I ask this is because 2 Corinthians speaks to it. Each of us must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is the hope, right? This is the goal. The reason we reincorporated giving into the service is because for the history of the church, it has been an act of worship, not a sense. My prayer is not that the bag comes in front of you and you feel compulsion of, if I don't give, the Lord will judge me and I will have leprosy by three, right? That that is not the hope. The hope is to give you an opportunity to rejoice and be grateful. To give with a grateful heart. We wanna give you that opportunity because we believe that is one of the ways that the Lord ministers to us. So do you give out of compulsion? Or is it an overflow of your heart? The second story that demonstrates a response of service is that of Peter's mother-in-law. Her immediate response is serving. Her immediate response to being healed is to do something. Her immediate response to her life being saved is service. We will talk about this more next week, but we do not have a passive faith. Christianity is is something we receive, but it is not just something we receive. Church is not just a place we go. The church is something we are. And we've been giving tasks to the glory of God to fulfill the great commission in the world, to make Christ known in our community. And committing your life to God Oh, it's a grand adventure. Committing to your life to Jesus is a grand adventure. We all seek purpose, we all seek being made more into His image, and serving the one, and serving is one of the ways He helps us do just that. We reflect Jesus as we serve. Mark 10:45. "For even the Son of Man came not to be served." but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As we serve one another, we image Christ in the world. We do this naturally if you're in Christ. And we do this naturally too, I think, even if we're outside of Christ. Think about it. If someone's nice to us, many times we feel compelled to do the same thing for them. Where, there's, where this is warped in our society, is when we serve someone to pay off some sort of interpersonal debt that we might feel. Right? They invited me out for a meal and paid for it, that means I must invite them out for a meal and pay for it too. When really we want to get to a point in our interpersonal relationships where we just love people because we love people. Why wouldn't I? And and the harder one is why wouldn't I receive a gift from somebody, right? That's when me and Jack have to constantly preach to ourselves around Pastor Appreciation Month because we don't like the focus on us. We want to disappear. But we allow you to gift because that gives you the opportunity to serve and love. I'm saying that to myself. See how I'm preaching to myself, church? Preaching to myself right there. And when we give and serve one another, our hearts actually are bent and knit to one another, many times at great risk. May we serve one another because we are served by our creator. Last application. Last application. I'd be remiss if I missed this one. I don't even think I'd probably be a good pastor if I missed this one. Anyone can come to Jesus. Anyone. Anyone. Maybe you feel like a leper here ostracized for many in Hicksville, I'm finding as I talk to people in the community, the community, this is not actually uncommon. Many people feel pushed to the fringes. You might even feel like, and this is what's so sad, you might even feel like it's where you deserve to be because of some of the choices you've made in your past. Well, I deserve to be in the leper colony because I did X, Y, and Z when I was 18, 19, and 20. I've talked to people that are scared of coming to church, coming to Jesus, because they fear that Jesus might turn them away too. The leper came and the Savior of the world healed him. Jesus does not turn those away who come to him. We see the same thing with the centurion. The guy who works for the other team. The guy who oppresses the Jews. The guy who, when he walks down the road in town, everyone goes, nah, nah, nah. They walk to the other side of the street. And they when, the, he, when he goes past, they probably spit on the road where he walked. That guy? Jesus says to him, what faith? What faith? You might feel ostracized. You might feel like, Lord, I worked for the enemy for a long time. I'm the guy who went to youth group to try to deconvert kids. I worked professionally for the other team for some time. But the Lord in his mercy, and that's the story. But the Lord in his mercy says, come all who are weary and I will give you rest. You see, the mercy of God extended to the enemy of God's people. If you feel like you've waged war against God, then that might be you. But mercy extends to whomever calls upon the name of the Lord. We have a God. We have a God who has come to save the outcast. It's actually one of my favorite songs in the Hunchback of Notre Dame. If you like musicals, maybe you've heard it. I'm not going to sing it for you this morning. I'm sorry. That's for Esmeralda. God does indeed save the outcast. And he even will help those who have oppressed the outcast. Here's the point. No one is too far from God. No one. Not one. If that's you today, if you're here, And you say, I can't approach the Savior of the world. You do not know what I have done. He does. And he says, come. Come to the table of the king. Come taste the salvation that is offered to the nations because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And I am the king. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is is Lord. My prayer is you say that with praise. Praise on your lips that the King has come to redeem those who call to him. Will you call to him this morning if you have not yet? And if you have, if you know this Jesus, will you rejoice? Will you rejoice? Bow your heads to me.